I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. And I just want to close the weekend talking about Abraham. How many of you grew up hearing about Abraham? Anybody ever sing? I'm not sure if they have the song in Malayalam or, or, Malayalam or Tamil, but uh, you ever sing this song? Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. Help me. I am one of them. So, and that's where we get Indian. Let's just praise the Lord. Right hand. Did you guys do that when you were a kid? You know, Father Abraham. And you just get right hand, left hand, right foot, left. Ben, I don't even know if you ever sang the song. I'm not sure if you did or not. But Father, we're going to talk about Father Abraham. And I'd like you to ask you to stand on your feet. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 27. And it says this. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now, I'm going to stop there. We're going to read a lot more, but we're going to stop right there. And I just want to pray... Father, in the name of Jesus, that you take every barren part of our souls and you bring life. Let there be life in Jesus' name. Let there be light in Jesus' name. Let there be health in Jesus' name. And today, let there be hope that there is more in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Theologians tell us that this is the pivotal structural break of the Old Testament. What we're reading right now in theological circles, if any of you go to Bible school, and by the way, I, I probably should have said this sometime sooner, our church has a school of ministry. It's a hybrid program that you could do in person or online. We do this with other churches. We do it in our church. This is where we reproduce a lot of leaders. And we will do, we have a, it's an online program that you can do. It's, a, it's called the Greenhouse School of Ministry. If any of you are interested, you can ask me or you can look it up. Um, but you can do it. It's, we, we've had many of our staff members that we've hired, many people of other churches that have gone through this. Uh, it's a wonderful program. It's even, we even, even have a, a relationship with Southeastern College. Anyone that you know, if someone goes through this, they give credit toward the things. It's Anyway, it's just a really good thing. If you've been through any kind of a school of ministry, if you've been through any sort of, any work on studying the Old Testament or theology, you would know that theologians tell us that this is the pivotal structural break in the Old Testament. This is the shift between the random humanity, and this is where God is calling apart his people. Right now, when we come to the story of Abram, when we come to this place of Abraham, this is where we saw in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were united with God, there was life. When they were united with God, there was a joy and there was a strength and there was a hope and, and there was fruitfulness. And, and when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell, they fell hard. They fell, it was, it was a massive fall that took place and there was a devolution, a, a going backwards among humanity. History had been cursed, and humans had been cursed. And right before this, of course, many of you will remember, if you've, if you've known the Bible, there was the Tower of Babel, and, and even right now, that this is that point in the structure of the Old Testament where God had scattered the people that had been building the Tower of Babel, and there was a curse. And it was into that place that God is now 
God is now about to shift the way that he handles people. God is now about to shift the way he works with humans. Up until now, there's been something else going on, but now he's about to call a man whose name is Abram and his wife, whose name is Sarai. And he's about to change things, and he's about to show them that there is more. And I want to get very clear here. He's about to move by faith. We know that Abraham, someone can finish the verse with me. Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham is the man of faith. Up until now, there's been many other things going on. This is the point when God begins to set apart a people for himself, and he does this by faith. He initiates it with one man that is a man of faith. And God's plan in this earth was that he would reach down into one family, into one man that believes him. And through that one man, God would get a foothold that would act like a virus across the face of the earth. I just want you to know right now, all God needs is one man. All God needs is one woman. I don't know how messed up your family would have been. I'm not sure what it's like. What I know is this. One man who believes God is enough. Someone say there's more. There is more. What God is going to make clear is that when one man or one woman by faith comes into relationship with him, all of human history is going to change. Now there's a problem though. When we're, and we find the problem in the passage. In this passage, it mentions Abram, and, and we have this, there's a weird thing that the author of Genesis is doing because the word Abram means exalted father. Literally, in Hebrew, it means exalted father. And it's sort of this weird irony, this ironic twist that, that Moses is giving us in the writing of the book of Genesis, where when we have this, we're getting this little twist that the man whose name is exalted father cannot have children. He's at this point, when we get to this point, he's going to be around, you know, somewhere in these, in his eighties, you know, the seventies to eighties. And, and at that point, here's a man with the name exalted father. It'd be kind of like if your name was rich man and you're not rich. It'd be kind of like if your name is fast runner and you don't have legs. It'd be like, if it's like, if your name was sharp vision and you're blind, his name is exalted father and he has no children. Every, literally, every time his name was said, it was like a stab in his back. Hey, what's up, exalted father? You wonder if people chuckled, if children made fun, if teenagers walked by him and said, oh, check out the exalted father in a culture where estimation and honor was recognized by how many children you could have. Of course, I've got eight children, which maybe back in those days would have been something. In my day, when people meet me and they find out I have eight children, they're thinking, what's wrong with you? Do you have a television? You know, they're like, do you... Have you figured out how this works? You know, do you understand this yet? The next question they ask is, are you a Muslim? To which when I say no, they say, are you a Mormon? I say no. They say, are you Catholic? I say, no, I'm a, I'm a pastor. They go, oh, that's right. Maybe you're a bad Catholic. I'm like, no, you know, it's like, hey, my name is just Mike. My name is Michael, right? His name was Exalted Father. And there's this irony. It's, it's like if some of you young people, if you wanted to be a rapper, but you have no rhythm. What's up, Lecrae? But you've got no rhythm. And then the, the next part of the irony comes when it says in verse 30, now Sarai was barren. And it's, it's, it's just sort of cryptic. The, the author is playing with us. 
It's, it's powerful. The author is, he's got an agenda. He's letting us know at the very beginning of the life of Abram, Abram is old. He's got the name Exalted Father and he's got no kids. And Sarai is barren. And, and what we have here at the beginning of the story of Abram, it's not just the story of Abram. It's the story of all of us. There's a barrenness upon humanity. There's, there's a futility. There's prayers that don't get answers and dreams that never come true and, and desires that remain unfulfilled. There's a, there's a, a desire for more. There's that desire for a child that doesn't come. There's a, a desire for more that doesn't seem to manifest. And what we find at the beginning of this story, in fact, indeed, the story of how God deals with people. I love the fact that here is Sarai, who is barren. Sarai represents all of humanity. There is a hopelessness. What God is letting us know is that left to ourselves, we are futile until God shows up. And the good news today is that we've got God. If you're watching right now online, I'm letting you know we've got God. When God comes to Abram, he comes to a man that clearly has no potential. He's 80-ish years old. He has no children. He's married to a woman who is barren. And God's intending to take a man to spread his descendants like the, the grains of the sea. And God goes, what I just need you to understand is this. When God decides to change the world, he chooses a man with no potential. Now that matters because I think we're sort of obsessed with potential in our culture. I think we look, we're like, whoa, what a, what a mighty amount of potential you've got. I mean, I hear people say this all the time. Yeah, what's up, son? I, I see a lot of potential in you. What I love about God is that God looks at people with no potential. None. You're like, what qualification do I need? Nothing. You need God. If you say, I'm a good speaker, God doesn't need it. I'm a good singer. God doesn't need it. I'm really analytical. God doesn't need it. God literally needs nothing but a word. I love this. I love this about God that, that he goes to a man that has no potential and he's about to make a promise to Abram, I'm going to make you great. So, so before I just say anything else, let me just make this super clear. Some of you in this that are listening to me now feel very inadequate. And I want to say this, and I want to be gentle, but I want to be clear. Your sense of inadequacy, your sense of inadequacy that I don't have what it takes may be technically true but it's ultimately irrelevant when you come to the living God. <laughs> because I don't want to live a life that's defined by my natural ability. I want to live a life that's defined by the greatness of my God. Don't you? As Zion Church, don't we want to be a church that when people look at us, they don't say, you know, it's just very understandable how they did that. They're natural. It's all explainable by their natural talents. Don't we want to do things at Zion Church that no one could explain but by God? Don't we want to get properties that everyone's like, there's no way that was going to happen until God? Don't we want to have miracles that were never going to happen? You're like, they were, we were going ahead and making orders with the casket to bury him. And then God showed, don't we want to live lives that we can know that God knows what to do when he shows up? Some of your families are in trouble right now. I'm just letting you know. Let God in. <laughs> and if you're like, well, I don't want anyone to know how how what? How barren you are? 
You don't want to let someone know that your name is Exalted Father with no children. You don't want to let someone know that your name is Sarai and that you're barren. You don't want to let someone know that, that you're a parent that does not know what in the world to do with your children and you're trying to raise them and trying to get them in church, but at the same time, they're going into a school where they're, where they're hearing that God isn't real and they're finding that there's deconstruction taking place all around and everywhere you go, everyone says, well, wait, what about LGBTQ? What about Jesus is the only way? How could Jesus be the only way? Everywhere you turn, it feels like there's this attack. How am I going to raise my kids? Do I walk in fear? Do I walk in faith? And I want to let you know today, Sarai, Abram, let Jesus come do his thing. Because there's so much more. There's so much more. See, we get very distracted with potential. God looks for people that realize your potential means nothing unless you've got him. Like, whether you've got a lot or a little, here, this is the reality. Jesus can use a donkey to talk. Are you aware? Are we all aware of this? He doesn't need much. <laughs> he really doesn't need much. He needs, and you might say, Mike, I don't feel like I'm very much. Awesome. Then you are maybe the most qualified person because he seems to love using people that know I don't have what it takes because then he shows up. Oh, I pray that he's going to open our, see, see we've, so we've got this problem and, and we've got this, this, this futility and this barrenness and into the barrenness of the life of Abram, it says in chapter 12, verse one now, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And the Lord said, to, I, I, I don't even want to move past it too fast. And the Lord said to Abram, and the Lord said to Abram, what I want to do with the rest of our time during this, there is more focus right now. Is, okay, wait, how do we get the more? And what I want you to see is into Abram's impossibilities, God does nothing but speak. How do we get more? That's really the question I want, because the, the, the conference is, there is more. I think we all know there's more, but there's this, this, this disconnect between, okay, God's promise of more, but I'm over here. How do I get from here to there? How do we get to the more? And the Bible says we get to the more by faith. And how do we get, how does faith work? And I only have three thoughts today, and here's the first one. Number one, faith comes by hearing a word. Faith comes by hearing a word. God, it says in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country to your father's house. Verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In case you're not aware of this, according to Galatians, everyone that believes in Jesus Christ gets to claim all of those promises over them. Now, this is a very big deal. That means the day you put your faith in Jesus, if you're like, man, I don't even know if I'm blessed. No, let me speak the truth over you. If you belong to Jesus, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, this is the truth over you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Does anyone else want that true over them? Could you look at the person next to you and say, literally, God bless you. <laughs> okay, wait, how does faith come? Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is how faith works. This is how we get to, faith comes by hearing. God speaks a word to Abram and Abram believes God and it's counted to him as righteousness. Please understand this. God creates not with hands, but with his mouth. 
God is now creating a people. And I, I want you to catch this. He's not creating a new humanity out of loaded potential. He's creating a new humanity out of people who listen to his words in faith. Listen to his words in faith. The word is your potential. What is it that sets us apart from the rest of the world? The word of God. What did God do to us that the rest of the world hasn't happened yet? He spoke. We believed. You and I are defined not by our potential, not just by our ethnicity, not by our gender, not by our Enneagram type, not by our spiritual gifts. You and I are defined by the word that God spoke over you. Jesus literally said in John 15, I sanctified them by my word. You even got cleaned by the word of God. I mean, I, I, you know, I took a shower and when I took a shower, it's like, oh, the, the water and the soap made me clean. Just so we're clear, you and I got clean by the blood of Jesus in the word that was spoken over us. The Bible says, do not call unclean what God has called clean. And I want to say something to some of you. You are clean. No more uncleanness. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It comes by hearing this word. The word is your potential. There was a virgin named Mary just doing her thing. She's 15 years old, scholars tell us. And an angel came and did nothing but speak a word. When God moves, he uses a word. He doesn't need an army. He needs a word. When he wants to change a life, he doesn't, he doesn't need a college degree, although I'm in favor of college degrees. My son's in college. Finish. But let me tell you what God needs. What God, all he needs is the word. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. On day one, he makes light. It's not till multiple days later when he creates the sun and the stars and the other higher lights. To, I, what, what does that mean? What that means is God will often speak first and there will be no explanation for it until a long time later. There's some of you that God has given you promises. And when you're looking at your life right now, it looks like there is no way on God's green earth that could ever happen. And I want you to know when God has spoken, it is done. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. Faith comes, faith is always attached to a word. Jack Hayford, when I just became a Christian, Jack Hayford was one of my uh, pre, I, I, I started following Jesus. I was in a dorm room. I didn't know what to do. So I turned on Christian television or Christian radio. And at night, this is, I know there's some of you that, that I'm going to date myself right now because um, th this was back in the day, they used to have these things called cassettes and I, and they had these things called boom boxes. And I realize there's a lot of you that don't know, even know what this is, you know? Um, and this was also back when you've, some of you've never seen there, they used to have phones that were attached to a wall. And I realize there's some of you that are young enough that you're like, I don't even know what that is, but that we had these. And I was in a dorm and I would go and I would hear sermons on the radio. And I don't know if any of you remember when you really started following, like when, when you, your soul like woke up, you know, like when you got resurrected. I had heard sermons multiple times in my life. They were always boring. I met Jesus and all of a sudden I'm like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. I'm like, what's going on right now? I would hear Tony Evans. I would hear uh, Jack Hayford. They'd be on the radio. I would I would run home to my dorm to record these things because I would just sit there and listen. I would take notes and I would listen and I have these tapes. And Jack Hayford, he was telling the story one day and it just marked me how he was out in, in California, Van Nuys, California. And 
And he just had this little church. He had a church, I think they had maybe 60, 70, 80 people. It was a, it was a smaller church, okay? And, and I'm saying that because he's become like this massive, I'm not sure, how many of you have heard of Jack Hayford? Anyone heard of Jack Hayford? Massive 10,000, 15,000 member church, one of the great Pentecostal leaders of the last 40 years. And one day they were just having a prayer meeting because they would get together and pray. And in the prayer meeting, an angel showed up. He's like, I kid you not, we're doing nothing but praying. An angel came to our prayer meeting and gave us a message. And after that message, which they believed and they heeded, it was, and, and now what's important is he had been pastoring for about, I think it was 12 to 15 years. And it was like this for 12 to 15 years. And then the angel came, made an announcement and the church exploded. He had nothing but a word. See, what we think is we think we get fruit by trying really hard, by copying other people's principles, by reading a lot of books. And listen, I, I, I'm going to try to read 75 books this year. So I'm trying to, I'll try to read more than a book a week, right? I believe in reading. I believe in ongoing education. I believe in fulfilling your intellectual potential, all of that. What I'm telling you is when God wants to move, all you need is a word. And faith comes by hearing the word. This is why in the Garden of Eden, when I've heard people say, Adam, the problem in the garden was that Adam and Eve rebelled. Their first problem was not rebellion. Their first problem was doubting the word of God which is why when they sinned and they were naked and ashamed and God came and they were hiding themselves. Do you remember what Adam said? He's like, God says, wait, what are you doing? Like, wh wh why are you, why are you hiding yourself from me? Like I made you. Could you imagine your newborn baby trying to hide themselves as you're changing them? That you'd be like, God's like, wait, do you, did you forget? I made you like your anatomy was made by me. And you remember they said, well, I was afraid. And then God asked this penetrating question. Who told you you were naked? And I want to ask some of you, who told you you can't trust God? Who told you this is not going to turn out okay? Who told you that you're ugly? Who told you that you're inadequate? Who told you that, that you're not enough? Who told you that you're never going to amount to something? Who told you that maybe God is going to answer the prayers for all of them, but God will never do it? Who told you these things? Because the battle is for words. There's a battle that's going on for words. And, and God says that faith comes by hearing. This is why every time my wife got pregnant, which, is, which obviously has happened often, we would pray for a word. We would say, God, what is my child's name? Because I believe names are prophetic. I believe names are prophecies. Benjamin means the son of my joy and the son of the Lord's right hand. That's what his name means. Benjamin, how many times have I said that to you in your life? Very, he already knows. He already knows. My first daughter, her name is Samara. I was a youth pastor when I had her. Samara means, Samacha in Hebrew, it means ruled by God. Seeing a lot of teenagers be crazy. I said, when my daughter is a teenager, I want her ruled by God. So I would just, I called her by, your name is ruled by God. My son Malachi, it means the Lord's messenger. My daughter, Anaya. Her name is Anaya. Do you know why she's Anaya? When my wife was pregnant with Anaya, we were in Israel. Leading up to this trip to Israel, her, my brother, in law works at, at Duke and he works with hearts and these kind of things. And my wife is pregnant and we, they kept telling us to come back for test after test after test. And we kept going back. This was number eight. And, there, you, and you've got all the drama. Of, yeah. Every time we'd get pregnant, my mother-in-law would threaten to leave town. She's like, if you have one more child, she's Puerto Rican. She said, if you have one more child, I'm leaving. You know, she said that at number four, then we had it. Then she loved the child and she stayed. If you have one more, you know, and, and we were like, man, Lord, you know, we were trying to trust you. I mean, when people ask you, how did you keep having kids? The truth is we just tried to keep trusting the Lord. And the more I trusted him, the more fruit we had. All right. 
there's other lessons to that, of course. But we, Ruthie, we were getting ready to go to Israel and Ruthie kept being called back to the doctor because they kept on seeing something. They didn't want to tell us what it is. They sent the, the images to her brother who works with echocardiograms and at Duke Hospital. And, and sure enough, the, the baby had a problem and, and holes in the heart. It was a disease that runs in her family. My, my, wife's little, my, my wife's older brother died. He died of this disease. And they said, hey, we've just got really, really bad news. Like your, your child's got the same disease that runs in the family. Um, we, we would suggest that you consider termination of the pregnancy because it's probably not going to thrive and live. And, and, and you need, but you need to make a decision. You, know, you, you need to make a decision before you go to Israel because when you get back from Israel, it'll be too late. Now, of course, we follow Jesus. I mean, are, are we, is it okay for me to say we are pro-life? We believe that uh, a life begins in the womb and that is a child that's created in the image of God, right? So we went to Israel and Ruthie's like, of course I'm not getting an abortion, you know? And so we go to Israel and Ruthie looks at me with tears and she's like, Michael, my heart's desire is that when we are in Israel, that God is going to heal my baby. Now we had done a multitude of tests. We go to Israel and we're up on the, literally it's, it chokes me up because we were on the mountains where Abram, because we know where Abram was when God called him. And we know the general area where the, we were up on the mountains overlooking these mountains where God said, count the stars. Can you even count them? You know, Abram, I'm going to, and Abram believed God. And up there on those stars, we prayed over Ruthie and we just go home. And as soon as we got back, first thing we had to go back to the doctor, they have to do the tests. And she did a test. They said, well, wait, wait, let's do another test. And then they did another test and they bring the tests out. And they say, we, we do not know how to explain this, but there's actually nothing wrong with your child's heart. The other 10 tests must have all been wrong. We don't know what to say. To which we said, we know what to say. His name is Jesus. And the Lord has answered our prayer. Well, Anaya, Ben, tell us what, what does the name Anaya mean? The Lord, the Lord answers. The Lord, we walk around the house. I'll say, the Lord answers. I'll say, come here, the Lord answers. Anaya knows. Anaya, your name is like a prophecy in the face of the devil. The Lord answers. Everywhere you ever go will be a reminder. The Lord answers. I've told Anaya the story probably in her, she's eight years old. In eight years, I bet she's heard it 400 times. I'm serious. Anaya, you know why we named you Anaya? Because when you were little, when you were a baby, you were in the belly and they said you were going to die. You had a disease. You had a hole in your heart. It was not going to be okay. But we prayed and the Lord answers. And here you are. Now she needs help still. She needs, I mean, physically she's fine, but I don't know if anyone likes, does anyone watch Star Wars here? Okay. Like the other day, like we, we watch Star Wars sometimes. I said, Anaya, who's your favorite character? She said, Darth Vader. I'm like, oh Lord. I said, Ruthie, she's like, Michael, give her time. The Lord answers. I'm like, Lord, could her favorite character be someone good? You know, like not someone, the greatest bad guy of all time. But the Lord answers. Each of my children has been given. And Mike, what are you saying? This is my point. Number one, faith comes. This is how faith works. This is how we get to more. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Parents, expose your children to the word of God. Moms and dad, expose yourself to the word of God. College students, expose yourself to more of God's word than you do to Instagram. Don't spend more time on TikTok than you do on the living word of God. Because the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will remain forever. 
there is a principle of exposure that that which you expose yourself to will affect you, which is why this is how faith works. Faith begins with the word. It begins with the word of God. I, I may be old school like this, but I believe in listening to the word of God. I still believe in, even if you're at home right now and you couldn't be in church, there is something godly about listening to the word of God. Like I am going to go and hear the word of God. And when I hear it, the Bible says in Galatians, when Paul said, did you receive miracles in the Holy Spirit by the working of the law or by the hearing of faith? When you hear the word of God, you've got a choice. You could be, you could be like kind of cruising through your phone. Like you can be at church and Pastor Justin's preaching and you could be checking things on your phone. Or every time you hear God's word, you can say, God, I am not going to blow this opportunity because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And when Abraham heard, you're going to be a daddy, he believed God. And when you hear Pastor Justin preaching, when I wake up in the morning, I put on a, a Bible app that just listens to the word. When I go to the gym to work out on the back, I just put the book of Revelation because in Revelation it says whoever hears the words of this law is going to get this words is going to get blessed. I'll, I know I've had a good workout when I get to Revelation chapter 21. I go in there and I'm like, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to listen. Don't leave your first love. Don't leave your first love. There is something about the word of God that can change you like nothing else can. Oh, church, we got to expose ourselves to the word of God. There is something about we get to just the Bible even says speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That means we've got to get over it. We're not being religious. If someone comes up and says to you, How are you doing? You might say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You're like, Oh, well, look at you, Mr. Holy Joe. No, look at me. I believe faith comes by hearing and hearing God by God's word. I'm gonna live by faith. Number one, faith comes by hearing God's word. Now, if you heard me preach on Friday night. This is the principle of indicatives and imperatives. Indicatives are those things which are true. Imperatives are what you must do. The truth is, the word of God is unlike anything else. The truth is, you don't need to try to convince people of God's word. God's word is like a lion. Just open the cage and let it out. Some of you parents are like, well, I'm trying to convince my kids that God's word is true. You know, I get that even when I talk to people about Jesus and they're like, well, can you prove to me God exists? I'm like, Jesus died on the cross. They're like, well, yeah, but why does that even matter? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I don't even believe that. No, I understand. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. I don't believe the things you're saying are true. No, that's okay. But, but God so loved us. I mean, God had, behold, the manner of love the father has given unto us that we could be called the children of God. I don't believe such things. No, I know, I know, I know. But for at one time you were helpless, but now, gee, and I will literally speak the word of God to people that tell me they don't believe it because I already know God has promised to confirm his word. Not my words, not your words, but God's words. Number one, faith comes by hearing God's word. That's the indicative. Here's the imperative. Faith is released by speaking God's word. Faith comes by hearing Faith is released by speaking. So my daughter Anaya, she's eight. She's got problems at times because she needs the Lord like all of us do. If you're born to, and, and she's getting much, much better and she's gotten baptized. And, and I do believe she knows the Lord now. And, and there's been some fruit that's coming. Even the other day, we were praying as a family and we went around and we did all the little prayer requests. And we said, Anaya, what would you like? She said, can you pray that I'll have more self-control? I said, hallelujah. <laughs> I was so glad. She's like, yeah. I just don't always have, and she, because she's got a little temper. I'm not sure if any of your kids have tempers and they get angry, right? And she will get angry. And when she gets angry, she gets destructive. Well, her name is Anaya. 
and I'm, we should have never done this, but we started to give her the nickname, The Annihilator. That was a very big mistake. She went to school, and I was talking to one of the teachers, and the teacher came up to me and said, Hey, Mr. Pass, can I, Pastor Mike, can I ask you a question? I said, Yeah. They said, So we were asking all the kids what their names are, like middle names. Does everyone here have middle names? Do people do middle names or no? So like, my name is Michael Allen Pats. Benjamin is Benjamin Allen Pats. Anaya's name is Anaya Marie Pats. The problem is we had not said the middle name Marie nearly as much as we had used the word annihilator. So when I went to the teacher, the teacher said, can, can I just ask you a, a personal question? I said, yeah. They said, is your, is your daughter's middle name really later? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. They said, she has insisted her name is Annihilator Pats. I said, oh no, that is not her name. To which the teacher said, then you might want to let your daughter know what her name is. See, the problem with words is that there's our actually power of life and death in words. Proverbs 18, 20, right? It's, it, it says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Your mouth has power. Once you believe something in your heart, it must be confessed with the mouth. This is why I would say in Psalm chapter 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is why it'll say in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. At one point, belief in the heart does one thing, but confession of the mouth does something else, which is vitally important for us to understand because faith comes by hearing. It comes into your heart by hearing. God, even during the service already, this is what happens in worship sometimes. You'll hear a line in a worship song and you believe it. But what happens when you're singing, the beauty of worship is you get to believe and confess simultaneously. A lot of us don't understand what's going on when we're like, why was I so alive at church on Sunday when there was worship happening? And what happened was your mouth and your heart got in accord. They got an agreement. And there is power when your mouth and your and your heart agree. It's like clapping. When, when I've only got one hand, it doesn't do anything. But when my heart and my mouth agree, now there's power. Faith comes by hearing, but faith is released by speaking. Your words are seeds. And I want to get super clear. You are experiencing what you say. If you wake up and say, ooh, I got a bad feeling about today. The Bible says your tongue is like a rudder. Literally, your soul is going to go in the direction of where you're going. Oh, Oh, why am I so stupid? Ah, oh, why did I? Oh, I'm always doing stupid. Okay, so now I'm not, I'm not just trying to be like a TV preacher saying, come on, church, let's moan it and own it, blab it and grab it, confess it and whatever it, right? Okay, I'm not, this, it's not that. There, there is an, an abuse of like the prosperity, gospel, confession. But there is something to words though that we've got to understand that God has made us that sometimes you need to put a, a, a muzzle on your mouth and say, don't talk right now because you're about to say words that are not reinforcing the truth of God's word. See, faith comes by hearing God's word. Faith is released by speaking God's word, which is why I'll read you this from Matthew, from Mark chapter 11. In Mark eleven twenty three, it's become one of my verses that I just go to constantly. Of course, Jesus was passing by one morning and there was a, a fig tree and they saw this fig tree um, and and it, it had leaves, but it didn't have fruit. So Jesus just said, hey, that thing's cursed. You know, like he, he curses the fig tree. 
Now, I don't think he cussed it out, just so we're clear. I don't think Jesus was like, bleep, bleep, bleep. I think he said, I cursed that fig tree. And they go, they come back the next day. Now, by the way, notice nothing happened at first, apparently. It's not like as soon as he said it, it went up in smoke right in front of their eyes. They didn't notice anything at first. But when they came back the next morning, they saw the fig tree withered to its roots. And Peter remembered to him, he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, have faith in God. Truly, I say, whoever says to this mountain, whoever says to this mountain, now I'm setting you up because I want some of you to say to some mountains today. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Let me bring together Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. On Friday night, I said that there is an enemy, there is a blockage to getting more. Namely, there is a devil. There really is an enemy that's there, and we need to overcome. And there is an overcoming that we have to do by the by understanding the gospel, by understanding the blood of the lamb, but it's the blood of the lamb and the, and the words of our testimony. Folks, I'm here, church, I'm here to tell you today the word of my testimony. There is no disease he will not heal. The word of my testimony is there is no family trauma he cannot redeem. The word of my testimony is there is no confusion. He will not come and intervene into the midst of it. That is my, te- it's, it's the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But then we were getting together yesterday and, and as, and as we were, and as we're just talking through things yesterday, I, I just want us remembering and I want us to be ready to, to use these words that God has given us so that faith is, it comes by the hearing, but it's released by the speaking. So parents, if you named, who was it that had, whose child was it that was named love? How do you say love? And, and is it in Malayalam? Is it love? Sne- say it again. Sneha. S-N-E-H-A. Sneha. What an awesome name. Every time, is Sneha in here right now? Is she in here right now? Every time her name is spoken, it's like, God is love. The greatest of all these is, someone's name is Sneha? I'm like, I just want to go around like, Sneha, Sneha. Like, everywhere she goes, it's like, her life is a prophetic word to this world of a world that's ruled by hate that we serve the God of love. What a great heritage. Like, when, when we, I want, I, I want to encourage you, if your children's names have meanings, remind them of them. Remind them of those meanings. You know, I was hesitating if I was going to share this or not. And thumbs up or thumbs down, I'm sharing this, Ben. My, my, my second child, her name is Misha, Misha L. Her name means who is like the Lord. We felt like God was saying to us that her life was going to cause people to say, who is like the Lord? Now, that's what my name means as well. I, I was wanting a boy and I didn't get a boy yet. And I was like, can I get someone named after me? Right? So her name is Misha L. Who is like unto God? And when she was born, right before she was born, the month before the Lord told my wife, um, I'm going to deliver Misha from, from many fiery furnaces. You will call her Misha because I will deliver her from every fiery furnace. You know, we heard that. We're like, oh, awesome. Well, Mishael was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible. You might remember Hananiah, Mishael, like these different names in the book of Daniel. 
and, and they were delivered from a fiery furnace. So Misha was born, and when she was born, all of the pregnancies went well except her. She was being strangled in the womb. And while she was being strangled, the doctors were warning us, hey, we, we don't want you to get your hopes up. Things are looking very bad. Her vital signs are bad. This is looking very bad. We go in to have, sur- to go in to have the baby, and, and Ruthie's not ready. She's not dilated. There's Misha, and uh, they say, hey, you know, you're not even dilated. It's going to be a while. We got on the phone. We called prayer warriors, and within four, it was exactly 14 minutes from the time we called Ruthie, my wife, went from not being dilated to Misha came out. There was not a doctor in the room. She fell into my arms. I had to, I'm delivering my daughter, Misha, and she'd been choked. They said, we think she's going to have brain damage. She had no brain damage. She almost died, but she had no brain damage. She lived, and we said, she is Misha. God will deliver her from every fiery furnace. A month later, she gets this random fluke virus that goes on and it's Christmas time. She was born in November. It was Christmas time. We are in the hospital on Christmas because she almost dies in the hospital. We call out to the Lord. We say, God, move on our behalf. Her name, Lord, you said she was Misha. You would deliver her from every fiery furnace. I heard your word. But what we found was sometimes faith comes by hearing God's word. Sometimes you're in a hospital room looking at a baby that's on a ventilator and you don't know if your baby's going to thrive. And you've just got to say, live little baby, because God said, I will deliver you from every fiery furnace. We have to use our words. We have to use our words. A little while later, I remember one day she was at a Wednesday night church service and she was walking in a group of about 20 people. And we're at our church. There's a lot of, we have, we live like in a forest. Gainesville's like a forest. A snake crawls and slithers out. This very large snake crawls out, slithers, and and it kind of comes up. There's a group of 20 people. She's in the middle, goes through all 20 people and starts crawling up her leg. Everyone watches this. They all leave. Misha goes, no, hi-ya, and she kicks this thing. And everyone, (laughs) and when she got home, the teachers told us about this, her little class, and we said, Misha, God's going to deliver you from every fiery furnace. I told some of you that were in Houston that, I was, I was in a meeting one day and there were several of my kids and my wife and I were upstairs in, the, in, a, in a meeting and downstairs I, I left all my children with one of our college students in the church. And when I came back from a four-hour meeting, I came, I came down and I said, kids, daddy's here. And, and I just, there's nothing quite like when your children run up to their daddy, right? You know, so Samara comes up and the kids are coming up one by one. They're coming up to, here's daddy, here's daddy, giving me kisses. And I said, where's Misha? And they said, oh, she's taking a nap. And Misha was laying over on the side and just kind of face down taking a nap. And I said, Misha, come to daddy. Misha, wake up. And then what felt like the worst possibility of my life happened when I walked over and I, I turned Misha over and her skin was blue and cold and she had no heartbeat. And I said, how long has she been here? They said, we thought she was taking a nap. We, we have no idea what happened. And, and I shook her and shook her and pled with her. And I'm like, Misha, wake up, wake up, wake up, baby, wake up, wake and I, and I take her little lifeless body in my arms. And at that point, I don't know what to do. And so what does a father do? And they don't know what to do. They, I said, Ruthie. And here's the staff. Our church staff is out in our lobby. And my lifeless baby is there. And I start walking. And I can still remember walking down the hallway. And all I could remember was this promise. I will deliver her from every fiery furnace. All I had was a word. Because I didn't have a heartbeat. All I had was a word. And I go out of this place and nothing's working. And, and it's, it's weird because you've got nothing to lose, but there's something even holding you back from speaking. And I just got to tell you, you've got to say the words. And I finally just took her in my arms and I lifted her out. And I said, 
Misha, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, come forth. And God is my witness. She right there before this group of people in this lobby, she goes, and she takes a breath. And I looked at her, I'm like, Jesus, your word is true. You will deliver her from every fiery furnace. And I need you to know that the words of God are true. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Faith comes by hearing a word, but it's released by speaking a word. You've got to speak. Even today, I'm going to want some of you to speak. But here's where it gets most vulnerable. And this is, I've shared this very, very little. Misha's, she's grown, she's 23 now. And and, uh, a couple summers ago, Misha went on a missions trip to Europe where she was working with human trafficking victims. I thought, and, and Misha had a little bit of trauma as a young person that I, I really believed she was through that. And she, she's lived a life of, of going through fiery furnaces. And she wanted to go on this mission trip to go work with human trafficking victims in places where girls that have been rescued out of brothels and people that have been rescued from the mafia and over in Madrid and Spain, which has become a hub of the human trafficking industry in Europe, that she was going to go there. I assumed there was going to be a fully staffed ministry that was there and she was going to go and she was going to kind of learn from the ministry that was there. When she got there, almost all of the ministry leaders were gone. And it turns out she ended up being almost like a house mom in a facility for an extended period of time where there were these girls that had been so demonized and gone through so much from Romania and Nigeria and parts of Europe and parts of Africa where they would come in there. And I had already been on the streets. That's how we found out about it because these girls are getting prostituted out and, and it's horrible and horrific. And, and they've got situations like none of us can even imagine. What I did not know was that my little girl was going to be like functioning as the, the, the house mom in this place for this entire summer. And the short, short, short version is when she got home, she was just traumatized. I, I was so glad to hear you say that, that there's times that, we, that people need, they need the emotional and the mental counseling and the help. And, and I'll be honest, we, we didn't know what to do. She would go into our, here's my, my, my little baby girl. Would, she came back and she's like, daddy, I just can't stop crying. And I mean, we, we were in a micro church. We had to quit our micro. We would just stay home every night and she would just lay on our beds and I would just stroke her hair and we would pray over her. And, and, and she, would, she, she was diagnosed with PTSD. She was diagnosed with this, you know, extreme depression. None of this had ever been the case before. I didn't know how to, I, I started wondering, you know, what Lord, should I have let her go? Did I do something wrong? I'm her dad. I gave the okay for this. You know, I'm the one that made the connection with the missionaries, all this, you know, and, and you've got those feelings and you fast forward. It was, it was New Year's Eve two years ago. The whole family was together and we were just ending the night in prayer like we always do. And, and we're going around the, the room and everyone's kind of giving different words and different things. And, we're, and people are like even prophesying over each other. And then Misha says, I'm just so ashamed of myself and I've really made mistakes and he said Misha what is it and, and it's like my heart dropped and she comes to us and she says I'm pregnant not married I'm pregnant and it's like the room starts spinning and you've got these all these thoughts of of just horror and I'm like I mean, even in that moment, I, I hear in my mind, Lord, but you said, but you said, 
this, this is how it ends? And of course we gathered around her and we loved her and we tried and she's like, you know, I, I can't go to church. I mean, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't live in Dallas. We live in a smaller town and we've got a larger church and anywhere we go, everyone knows who we are. She's like, everywhere I go, I'm going to have a scarlet letter. I can't go to church because church people are going to judge me. Everywhere I go, it's like I've, I've made a, I've, I've shamed you, daddy. I've shamed mom. I've shamed the family. I've, I, I, I can't go to church. I'm, and and I'm, I'm hearing this and, and she gets back to Gainesville and she's like, you know, I remember one point I'm like, Misha, let, let me help you. And, and one of the hardest days of my life was when she said, you know, dad, clearly neither you nor Jesus did a very good job of protecting me. So I'll just handle it from here. And man, we were just in this pit of like, my wife, I mean, I don't know if any of you mothers can possibly imagine me. Here's my wife. She's the greatest woman of God that I know that was struggling with every emotion of what did, how did we blow this? How did we mess this up? How did we, how did this go so wrong? And so the year begins and Misha's kind of, you know, still at a distance and her heart was sort of hard and I'm just trying my hardest. And then the pandemic happens and I know everyone hated the pandemic. I'm going to go ahead and say it publicly. The pandemic happened. Everyone had to stay home. And Misha ended up getting this strange quarantine because when the pandemic hit, we have these two elders in our church, <laughs> Helen and Murray. She got to their house. She was at their house one day because they love her. And I'll back up and just tell you this very quickly. The day that she found out she was pregnant, it was December 15th. And she took a pregnant, she'd actually took like five pregnancy tests and she goes into church. And when she goes into church, she sees these five pregnancy tests. She's, she's shaking. And it's amazing the crazy thoughts you'll think when she's like, I can't keep this baby, whatever. She goes into church. And on that day, I've done this once on that day. I have no clue what's going on. I got up, interrupted worship and said, I'm not sure who's here, but there's somebody here that's pregnant. And you think you're supposed to terminate this pregnancy. And I'm here to tell you, keep your baby. That baby belongs to Jesus. Jesus is going to walk. And I had so much faith that Jesus will do this. Well, Misha hears this. She gets up and she begins to leave. And when she does, this woman, Helen, is there. Helen, one of these. And she's a very strange woman. But she comes up and she says, you. And she, Misha says, what? And she points her. She says, you, young lady, I need you to know that I love you with all my heart. And no matter anything that ever happens to you, I'll always be here for you. And I'll always believe in you. And Misha just has to leave. She ends up obviously keeping her baby. That's where how the story's going to end. But when the quarantine hit, she happened to be visiting Helen and Murray and she got stuck in their house and she couldn't leave their house for three months. I'm not sure if any of you were in some of these spots, but let me tell you about Helen and Murray. Murray prays like six hours a day and they pray in tongues like an hour a day. So when Misha was at their house, she goes in hard, but every day, they would take their hands and they would lay them on her womb and they'd begin to pray in the spirit. And they would say, this baby's going to have life. This baby's going to have life. Jesus, you're going to give Misha life. And, and her heart got redeemed all over again. I remember the call when she calls me and says, hey, I need you to be my daddy and I need Jesus to be my redeemer because I know he's going to walk me through. But I still had all these questions and thoughts and I'm like, Jesus, who's going to ever want to marry my daughter now? Like, how, how is she? I mean, even Christians I talked to were like, she should terminate. The, she's wasting the rest of her life. She's not going to, she, she was not even quite done with school yet. She wasn't finished with her degree yet. And, and I, oh, there's all these questions. And 
something happened when she got redeemed and it's amazing. I, I brought her, I called up the elders that were over me and the superintendent. I was like, listen, if I'm unfit for ministry, I will, I will turn in my credentials. I will resign from my church. If the Bible says I need to be above reproach and maybe I'm not, I said, I'm just going to come up under all the authority that's around me. And I said, you know, but I, I, I need covering, you know, I need this. And so I went to my district and, and when Misha came before our church, I'll never forget when, when we went up and we made the announcement and said, church, I'm going to need you. And, and the churches rose in applause and they surrounded Misha and they loved Misha. And months later, when her little baby, little David, David, Michael, when he was born, she brought him before the church and the church just rose up. I mean, it's, it's very precious to me. One of, the, one of the Indian families in our church, I was, they just intercede for us and I, we financially things were, I'm like, Lord, how is it? How, how's provision going to happen? How are things going to happen? And I told one of, one of our sisters, her name is Siva and her husband, David, and I told them what happened. As soon as they're there, they said, oh, Pastor, I was totally expecting judgment. And they, they got on their knees and they, and she said, oh, Pastor Mike. And she pulls out her checkbook and, and she writes a check for $2,000. She says, give this to Misha. Two days later, Misha was going to have a bill that was due for $1,900 that she'd have no idea how she was going to pay it and before she even paid it. And I'll fast forward to the just a few months ago when she put out a Facebook post and she said, I will tell you this, months ago I, I turned up pregnant. I thought my life was over. And when I thought it was all over, I remember I thought the Christians were going to judge me because she went to Planned Parenthood. She said, what I found though was all of my pro-choice coworkers, when they found out I was pregnant, they said, girl, this is your choice. And the interesting thing was they were totally supportive of me until I told him I was keeping my baby. And when I said, I'm keeping my baby, they all dumped me and forsook me. And the people I thought would hate me and forsake me, which was the church, I thought they would judge me. The people that loved me was God's people. And they restored me back to life. And she did this Facebook post that went viral. And she just said, if you are pregnant, keep your child, keep your baby, because God will deliver you from every fiery furnace. Several months later, there was a guy that had been pursuing her, a godly disciple. He'd been pursuing her for years. And when he found out she was pregnant, I knew. It was like, oh, there's no chance he's going to keep pursuing her. And, and he kind of gave up on it. But then he came to me several months later. He said, Pastor Mike, I felt like God told me years ago that this was my wife. And I said, you know what? She's got a baby, but I, I could be a father to him. And if I'm supposed to marry her, then this should not change that. And I'd like to ask you for permission to pursue her and to marry her. And just a few months ago, she, she married her husband, Austin. A few months after she graduated from college, after she had been awarded a number of awards in our city for the small business, she's an entrepreneur that she has started. And she is right now a testimony that would say, Daddy, never doubt the word of God because I will deliver you from every fiery furnace is what he said. Church, this book is full of promises that I want you to hold on to and I want you to confess. And then God by his spirit is gonna give you promises that I want you to confess. And if I could, if I could just close out this story, I'm, I'm just gonna close out our weekend because I want all the eyes on Jesus because I want you to understand this. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abram and he's like, Abram, when it had, the promise hadn't happened yet because he gave the promise, but things look really dark. 
And when that happened, he said, no, I want you to look at the stars and can you count them? He says, I'm going to do this. And it says Abraham believed him. And then he put a deep sleep on Abraham. And I need you to catch this because when he, he said, I want you to go and I want you to take some, some heifers and I want you to take some animals and I want you to cut them up and, and you lay some pieces over here and over here and over here. And I want you to lay some other pieces over here and over here and over here. And I want you to lay them out. Now, Abraham knew what this would mean because this was old, ancient world lingo for covenants. When two kings would make a covenant, you would get an animal, I would get an animal, we would chop up the animals, we'd lay them out, and then both of us would walk through the animals' pieces together. There's blood everywhere, and this is what the animals meant. It meant this. I'm getting in the covenant with you. And just like these animals have been torn apart, this is my word to you, Pastor Justin. You and I are in covenants. If I ever break my covenant with you, let me be ripped to pieces like these pieces of meat have been ripped to pieces. And then you would say the same thing. If I ever break my covenant, may I be destroyed like this. But the interesting twist that no one had ever heard of before was when God had had Abraham lay out the pieces for the covenant, he then put Abraham to sleep. And the Bible says that he has this vision where God comes down and God passes through the pieces without Abraham which is obscure and odd and weird. And what does it mean? It means this. God was saying, Abraham, I'm coming into a covenant with you. And this is my word. If I ever break my word to you, I will be cut to pieces like this. But it's not just that. You can stay on the side. Because if you ever break your word to me, may, may I be cut to pieces as well. Because you and I need a covenant that's better than karma. We need grace. And the question through the ages was, how is God going to fulfill this? And the answer is, supposedly on the same mountain where he does this covenant, is where Jesus Christ is going to go up on a cross. And where Jesus is going to fulfill his word to our father Abraham. Because all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us, like Misha, have been unfaithful. All of us are imperfect parents that don't know how to describe it. And God says, if I ever break my word to you, I'll be torn apart. But he's never broken his word. But if you are ever unworthy to me, I need you to know that I'm going to pay the price, even for your unfaithfulness. And if you are in this place and you have never given glory to God, I'm praying today would be the day you would say, Jesus, you are the Lord, you are the King, and all glory to you, because he is the God that keeps every single promise, and he's sealed. And if you're looking for evidence, here's the evidence, a bloody cross and an empty tomb and a name that's the name above all the other names, the name of Jesus Christ. Pastor Mike, how do you want me to apply this sermon today? If you are not right with God, if you're online and you're not right with God, if you're watching from home and you do not belong to Jesus, call upon him, repent, turn to him, trust him, believe in him with all of your heart, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you will be saved. If you're here in person and you're not right with God, you've not turned and given him your heart and your life, I want you to do it today. But if you have, I want you to speak the word because faith comes by hearing, but it's released by speaking. And if you need to speak some words, even before you leave the room, maybe a word over your marriage or a word over your child or a word over a promise, maybe you're just going to say, God, I believe you. Maybe you need to speak to some mountains, but I want you to say the word. I would like us to have a massive time of confessing of the promises and the goodness of God in this place. Because I'm here to tell you, with the word of my testimony is this. 
there is no drama. There is no shame he cannot lift you out of. And that's the last word I'll give you. My wife has struggled for a year coming out of the shame of my daughter. She would pray for sick people all the time. They would heal. When, when Misha had her drama, Ruthie, she kind of went into a shell because as a mom, it was so hard. But I remember several months ago when she says, Michael, I'm the Lord. I heard the Lord's voice. He said, get up, get out. And I don't know what Ruthies are in this room or in this place, but someone needs to hear this. Your days of shame are over. Get up and pray the mighty miracles of God again. There is someone that needs to take up their mat and walk. There's a Lazarus that needs to get up and take their breath because when I've watched the life of my Misha and I've watched the life of our Savior, I know there is nothing he cannot do. There is more. If you're in this place right now and you are not 100% convinced that you are right with God, I'm about to count to three. And when I say three, if you are not right with Jesus and you want to be, if you're like, Mike, I'm a sheep that's gone astray or I don't know that I've ever given my life fully to him. This is your day. This is your time. When I say three, if you need mercy, if you need that to happen, I want you to put your hand in the air. Even if you're at home and you're watching and you're listening right now in some other place, right there in your house, right there in that computer, put your hand up. When I say three, if you are not right with Jesus and you want to be, I want you to shoot up if you believe that what I've said is true, that he died, he loves you, he rose, and he'll accept you. If that is you, I'm free. Shoot it up. One, two, this is your time. Three, put it up if that's you. If you know that you need the mercy of God, good. Yeah, yeah. Who else? Who else? If you're online, right there, even lift your hand, say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. If you're in here right now and you know that there is something that you are supposed to confess, would you just put your hand up for a second? If you know your mouth is supposed to verbalize some promise of God, some word, would you just put your hand up for a minute if you know that you're supposed to and get your heart ready? I'm going to ask Pastor Justin to close this out and however he wants to do that, but... But I want us just to have a time of being able to confess. We're going to worship. We're going to close with the worship song and then just confess the faithfulness of God. Confess that faithfulness. If you raised your hand just a moment ago, knowing that you need to give your heart fully to him, I want to lead you in a prayer right now, right there where you're at. Everybody can pray this, but especially if you're at home or in person and, and you know that you're needing to turn to him and repent. Would you pray this with me? You can whisper, but say it with your tongue. Say, King Jesus, be my Lord. Be my leader. Be my Savior. Be my forgiver. And my very best friend. I pledge my allegiance to you. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I trust you with all my heart. The best that I know how, I trust you, Jesus. You died for me. You rose from the dead. And I turn to you. I'm yours. Just kind of whisper under your breath, Lord, I mean that. Yes, yes, I mean that. Now, if you need to make a confession to the Lord, if you're one of God's saints and, and you know there's promises that he's given you, you've not yet seen them come, I want you to speak them out. There's mountains that need to move. Before we close out with the worship song, I want you to speak those words. Ask big. You can ask for some big things right now. He's been crucified. He's been torn apart for you. There is nothing that he will withhold from those that he loves. Oh, Jesus, release faith in this place. We know that there's more. Now let our mouths, let your petitions come before God, even right now. If you've got a petition before, make the ask. Speak to the mountain. Curse the, the fig tree. Speak to the bush. Tell it to move.
some of you that have wayward children, go ahead and say, I, I speak out that my wayward children are coming home in Jesus' name. Some of you that are wondering about the call of God on your life, it feels like there's been a barrenness that some of you in ministry or in business, it feels like it's been barren. Let there be fruit. Let there be fruit. Let there be prosperity. Let there be innovation. Let there be success that gives glory to God. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Jesus.